Hi, this is Andrew Phillips. Thank you for downloading the Gramier Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions or if you'd like to contact us, check out our website at gramier.com. We'd also love for you to visit with us in a worship service. You're always welcome at Gramier Church of Christ. Our scripture this morning is Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how many times shall my brother sin against me and I still forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times but up to 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his master commanded that he be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the master of that slave felt compassion, and he released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling, and went and threw him in prison until he would pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their master all that had happened. Then summoning him, his master said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his master, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he would repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. It's interesting to stop and to think about how things got to be the way that they are. When I was growing up, I don't think I had a great enough appreciation for history, for things that were historically significant. Uh, for why certain things happened and why I was enjoying and appreciating what I was experiencing. But as I've gotten older, I've tried to be more appreciative and more thoughtful about how things got to where they are, whether it's just general history. When I look around and see the community I live in, the country I live in, and think about, okay, how did this happen? What's the story behind this? Maybe it's a family history. Maybe you think about, okay, how did, how did my family get to this point? And what are some things that uh, my parents and grandparents and their parents did that allowed me to be here and enjoy this? And sometimes when we do that, we'll find sort of threads that run through the years. And we think, I never realized that this existed today because of something that happened in the past. It's also something we can do on... A larger scale. Now it's easy to speak in broad generalities when we think about his, history over an extended period of time, but one of the interesting things that happens historically is that our mindsets can shift. 
And so the way we see that is in the Greco-Roman world, when we think about the world where thinkers like uh, Plato or, or Aristotle would have been familiar with, uh, in that world, you really f- valued your community, your, your state, your town you lived in, what was happening there, more than the individual. Uh, we even see this in Scripture. In Scripture, there is a greater value in the, the ancient world of community. How is this going to look before the community? Does this bring honor to the community than the individual? We even see that in kind of the medieval era. Sometimes we refer to that as the Dark Ages. But there's this emphasis on what the community or the church thinks about something, not what the individual thinks. In fact, even though it's called the Dark Ages, one of the things they saw clearly was that pride, pridefulness, could be a sin. And then historically, there's a significant shift. Some have pointed to the Renaissance, where you have this rebirth of knowledge and of art and of literature and thinking and all kinds of great things that come out of it. But one of the things that happens is the individual starts to be exalted. And we start thinking about what we as individuals can earn and can get. And all of a sudden now, if we're looking broadly speaking, in the culture we live in, The individual is more valued than the community, than everything else around us. Our culture today doesn't treat pride as all that sinful. It's kind of just a necessary fact of doing business, that you've got to look out for yourself. You've got to take care of yourself. And what matters most is what the individual feels and thinks. Now, those are broad strokes. I understand that. But it's important for us to see kind of how we got to where we are. And maybe that's why it can be so difficult for us when we think through the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Because what Jesus does as he begins this list of blessings, of ways that people are blessed if they uh, practice these things, if they do these things, he's pointing to traits and to attributes that downplay my individual desires and focus more on submission, on serving. I mean, when we see people who are poor in spirit, who recognize their own spiritual poverty, uh, who are mourning, who are, are meek or gentle, who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, this is not the sketch of a person who is on top of the world and in control of everything. It's the description of someone who is placing their individual desires secondary and seeking to serve God. And it may be that one of the Beatitudes where this stands out the most is when Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Because we don't typically think of showing mercy today as something a strong individual does, right? If you're a strong individual, I'm looking out for myself. I'm going to make sure I'm taken care of and my family's taken care of. And I'm not really too concerned with what people do who might uh, not agree with me on certain uh, areas of life, who might have conflict with me at work, who might uh, have conflict with me in my community. I'm not concerned about them. I'm only concerned about myself and making sure that myself and my family are where we need to be. And then we read these words, that Jesus is saying, blessed are those who show mercy. 
And maybe it's because mercy in our minds is a little bit like meekness, that we often associate it with something weak, that uh, for someone to be merciful to someone else, it's almost like uh, they're not strong enough, uh, they're, they're, not, they're not big enough, brave enough, confident enough. If they're going to show mercy, there's just something lacking there. And yet it's interesting to see the way mercy is described. In the Old Testament, mercy is one of the ways this incredibly rich word is translated in Hebrew, hesed. Sometimes it's translated loving kindness, faithful loving kindness. It's one of those Hebrew terms that it's almost like it's a truck loaded down with all of these aspects of meaning and nuance, and we're trying to find one English word to grab all of that. But mercy is described as a characteristic of God, His loving kindness, His mercy. It doesn't sound like something that's weak. It doesn't sound like something that's wishy-washy. It sounds like something powerful. Last week on Sunday night, we were in Matthew 23, and we were reminded that when Jesus talked to the Pharisees, He described what He called the weighty matters of the law. The weighty things that they'd overlooked. And you may remember, justice, mercy, and faithfulness were involved in those weighty matters. Jesus says mercy matters, that it's significant. And even though it's not really something that's in style all the time, uh, being compassionate or being merciful might not seem like something that can really get us ahead in life, Jesus says it's a quality that we need to possess. And so this morning, I'd like for us just to think about what Scripture has to say about mercy and the way Jesus exemplifies that. And it seems that one of the things that stands out clearly is in order for us to really receive mercy, I need to recognize my need for mercy. Jeff read to us a parable that Jesus tells, and I, I appreciate him reading the parable for us in, the, in its entirety so we can see from beginning to end when Jesus is prompted by a question about forgiveness, he says, here's the way forgiveness works. And so we're introduced to one individual who's in a debtor's prison who has a debt that's so large, it's tough for us to translate just the exact amount from what we see in Bible to what it would be today. But we know enough to know this was an exaggerated amount where the purpose was it would be impossible for someone to repay it. It was not within the realm of possibility that one person would be able to come up with all of this. It was something he could never repay, and yet he's forgiven of that debt. And what's the first thing he does? He goes and finds someone that owes him a little bit of money, a significant amount, but in comparison to what he'd been forgiven of, not very much at all. And he tries to choke it out of him. And it seems like if I want to really receive mercy, I've got to recognize my need for mercy. That's another reason why this might not be very popular today. We feel pretty self-sufficient. We don't feel like there are many things that we need. And yet, if I'm going to show mercy to other people, I'm going to have to have an appreciation for the way God has shown mercy on me. I think about another parable that Jesus tells uh, the Good Samaritan, one that we're so familiar with, uh, we know what's going to happen kind of each step of the way as we retell it. But just remember, as Jesus describes a man who's beaten and left for dead, 
and you have the priest and the Levite who walk by on the other side, and then the Samaritan who finally helps him. One thing I just think is, is significant about that story is there is no doubt when Jesus tells the parable that the man who is beaten and left for dead is in need. If you're listening to Jesus tell that story, you know that someone who is left for dead on the side of the road, a road that would have been well known at the time, also criminal activity is not something unheard of on that particular road. And so it was clear that this person was really in need. Now imagine if the parable went a little bit differently. Imagine if several people had come up to this man who had been beaten and left for dead, and he just said, no, I'm fine, I don't need anything, I'm okay. It wouldn't even make sense with the story. We know he's in tremendous need. I wonder sometimes if we're not tempted, even when we're in that situation, to respond that way when people come to help us. Maybe we come together in a worship service, and we're all here, and we're worshiping together, and you kind of look around, and it seems like everybody else is doing well, and they come up to you, and you might be feeling like the man who's left on the side of the road, and that you're, you're bleeding, and you're reeling from things that have happened in the past week or the past month, and you're really hurting. And what is our first temptation when someone asks how we're doing? Is to say, oh, I'm fine. Things are good. Things are okay. Don't worry about me. You know, it seems unreasonable that in the parable Jesus tells, someone who was laying on the side of the road could deny the need for help. And yet it's something we're tempted to do. It's essentially what the servant was doing who'd forgotten everything he'd been forgiven of and he was going to try to get some money from someone else. We've got to recognize our need for mercy. And that begins with understanding the depth and the reality of our sin and what our sinfulness does and how it affects us. We show mercy because of the mercy that's been shown to us. But we also need to remember another aspect of that is when I show mercy, I'm not just doing it because this is a command I'm fulfilling. I'm doing it because it's a trait of my Savior and I'm modeling my life after Him. Think about the way Luke 6 records Jesus saying, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Be merciful because of the God that we serve. And over and over again in Scripture, we have this move from the indicative statement of this is what God is, this is what God does. Now there's an imperative. Here's what I've got to do. So because God is love, I've got to show love. Because God is holy, I've got to live a holy life. And because God is merciful, I need to show mercy. Hebrews 2 and verse 17 reminds us that Jesus is a merciful and faithful high priest. It's not just about clicking off a box of, yes, I've got to have this trait. This is listed in the Beatitudes, so I guess I should make this part of my life. It's about if I want to be like Jesus, this is a quality that I want to have. Jesus would go on in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 and verse 14 and say, if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. In other words, we show mercy because we've received mercy, and the way we act towards others has an impact on the way we live and the way that we're treated. 
there's something serious here. I need to recognize my need for mercy. It doesn't mean that I stay mired in my sins or that somehow I just kind of walk around, I'm just a sinner, I'm a terrible person, and, and I rehearse all the things that I've done. Scripture gives us confidence in God's forgiveness. If I'm a Christian, I can be confident that I'm forgiven of my sins. I can be confident I have the righteousness that Jonathan reminded us of at the Lord's Supper this morning. I can be confident in those things. I just don't need to forget what that righteousness cost. I don't need to forget the depths of what I've been forgiven of. I need to realize that even in a world where it feels like I'm in control and I have everything, or maybe I feel like I'm a pretty good person, or I've had parents that were Christians and their parents were Christians, it doesn't matter who we are, all of us are only able to be here this morning and worship because of the mercy of God. And if I know that, if I recognize that, then I'll be able to receive that mercy. But connected with receiving it is I need to be willing to extend it to others. This is an interesting beatitude in the sense that the reward for practicing mercy is more mercy. You see that? Blessed are the merciful because they'll receive mercy. So yes, I want to show mercy. I want to extend it to other people because that's part of me receiving it. It's, it's sort of a continuum. What does it mean to extend mercy to other people? James 2 would describe our challenge this way. To speak and to act as those who were judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And this is one of the points we read Jesus make in Matthew chapter 6. Right, The way we show mercy is going to impact the mercy that we receive. But it's also important that I remember this isn't just sort of a general abstract kind of statement. It's a lot easier for me to reflect on mercy and how good mercy is if it's just something that sort of is hypothetical and exists out there. And yeah, this is just kind of a feeling I have and an attitude I have towards a general group of unspecified people. Mercy means taking specific actions for specific people. So mercy may mean thinking about a person who has said something or done something to me and showing them mercy, that specific person, and that specific instance, and saying, I'm going to be merciful to them. It may mean there's a family conflict that's gone on and that it's been hard and it's been difficult and maybe there's something specific I need to do to show mercy. Mercy means taking action. It's interesting that even before Jesus feeds thousands of people, the Gospels tell us that He looks at them and has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus shows mercy, it's specific. Now again, He's performing miracles through the power of God, but He's taking action. And so when Jesus says the merciful are blessed, it's merciful people who are taking action and extending that towards others. Years ago, Gordon MacDonald was speaking about the ministry of John the Baptist and sort of imagining a scenario that could have happened when John is baptizing Jesus in the Jordan. And so the way he tells the story, there are people there who are management consultants that come to the Jordan River, and as the crowds come up to John, they decide they need to get things organized. 
And so they set up tables and they begin to question people who come for repentance. And the question that they ask, number one, is what's your name? And number two, what is your worst sin? What is the most awful sin that you have? And they take some of those name tags that you have that kind of say, hello, my name is, and they write that person's name, and then they write their most awful sin, and then they put it on them, and now they're ready to go be baptized and to meet John the Baptist. And so the first person that walks up, according to the story Gordon tells, his name is Bob, and they say, what's your most awful sin, Bob? And he says, well, I stole some money from my boss. And the person at the table takes a marker and writes in bold letters the name Bob and then embezzler and then slaps it on his chest. He's ready to go. The next person comes forward. Name? Mary. Mary, what is your most awful sin? Well, I gossiped about some people. It wasn't very much, but I didn't like them. And I didn't like what they were doing. And so I gossiped about them. And so the organizers write Mary and they put in big block letters, slanderer. And then they put that on her shirt and she's ready to go. The third person comes up, George. George, what is your most awful sin? Well, I've thought about how nice it would be to have my neighbor's new vehicle. I just, I can't stop thinking about it. They put George, coveter, and they put the name tag on. And as McDonald tells the story, he pictures Christ coming to be baptized, walking by a line of people who have these name tags on them, and he takes those tags off one by one, and he puts them on his own shirt. And as Jesus is immersed in the Jordan River, the water washes away the ink on those shirts. In essence, Jesus is taking on the sins of the people who needed forgiveness. Because in his baptism, Jesus is initiating his ministry. And that ministry is going to lead towards the cross. It's going to lead towards ultimate forgiveness. And so it's this incredible picture of what it would be like. It causes us to think about a couple of things. Number one, it causes us to think, if I had to write down my sin that I'm the most ashamed of, most embarrassed about, what would that be? You don't have to share that with anybody, but just in your mind, what would be on, what would be on there? Isn't it a powerful image to think of the Savior taking those stickers off, those tags off, taking our sins, even the ones we're most ashamed of? and taking those on himself on the cross, offering forgiveness. But there's another aspect as we reflect on mercy. Because there's another tendency we have as human beings, and it's, it's not a pretty one, but I think if we're honest with ourselves, it's one we feel sometimes. And that is, we know what would be on our name tag, but there are certain sins on certain name tags that we say, you know, I don't know about that. So if Jesus is taking on the sins of other people, we might come up to a name tag where it's someone who has done something and maybe what they've done is something to us. And we say, whoa, wait a minute. No, I don't, I don't think that's going to cover that. that that's, a, that's a pretty bad one. Or I've got a real problem with this. I've got an issue with this. It's okay for me to be forgiven, but I'm not sure about what that person has on their name tag. This is the attitude of Jonah when God calls him to go to Nineveh and Jonah says, no, not Nineveh. No, I, you, you can forgive me. I can be in a relationship with you, but I don't, I don't think the forgiveness is for the Ninevites. It's the kind of attitude James and John have when they come to Jesus. 
and they're upset about these Samaritans that have rejected them, and they're wanting to call down fire from heaven. And it's okay for Jesus to be patient with James and John when they misunderstand things and when they get things wrong, but they don't want to show any patience to these Samaritans. It's that kind of human tendency. And Jesus says, we're called to be merciful. So as beautiful as it is for me to imagine my own sins being taken by Christ, I need to ask myself, are there any others that I'm thinking, whoa, that's a red flag. I don't think it's going to cover that. I don't think forgiveness is going to be enough here. We're called to extend mercy to others. We do that because the only reason we have, the hope we have for the future, is because of the mercy that's been given to us by God. Like the servant who was forgiven so much. It's easy for us to see in that parable how outlandish it is for the servant not to show mercy to someone who owes him when he's been shown so much mercy. But it's easy for us to forget. One of the things that would happen in the Old Testament is that God's people would be making offerings and sacrifices, but in their daily lives they wouldn't be showing the kind of love and mercy that they should show. And so we read things like Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. It's not that sacrifices and burnt offerings weren't important for the children of Israel, but it was that they needed to be practicing the love of God throughout the week for those sacrifices to mean anything. You can't just go offer sacrifices and act however you want to act. And Jesus even quotes that statement more than once in the Gospels to try to help the Pharisees understand this priority. They criticized Jesus for spending time around tax collectors and sinners in Matthew chapter 9. And Jesus quotes this passage, I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus' disciples are eating grain on the Sabbath day. They'd missed the, the, the point of the rules for the Sabbath because they're trying to enforce some tradition there. And Jesus says, I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. It's not that the rules didn't matter. They do matter. But only in the context of truly loving God. Not in the context of legalistic traditions that I add to it. It's in the context of really showing mercy. It is easy for us to lose sight of the true purpose behind what we're doing. If I want to receive mercy from God, I need to understand my need for it. And I need to be willing to extend it to other people. And maybe understanding my need for it will help me be more generous in the mercy I show to others. Stephen McDonald was a, a former U.S. Navy corpsman, and he became an NYPD police officer uh, following his father and his grandfather. And he was on a patrol in Central Park when he and his partner were questioning some young men about some thefts. And during the question, he noticed that one of the boys had something in his sock, and he went to see what it was. And a young man named Shavad Jones took a gun and shot him three times. This had a tremendous impact on the rest of Stephen McDonald's life. He would need a ventilator from that point forward. He lived as a quadriplegic. He had so many different challenges that he faced. In the midst of this, the young man was arrested, spent time in prison, and Stephen McDonald made this statement. He said, I choose to forgive the young man who had done this to me 
And he said, I forgave him because I believe the only thing worse than receiving a bullet in my spine would have been to nurture revenge in my heart. Mercy might not be that popular today, but it's vitally important. It's important because we need to be able to realize the mercy we've been shown, but also God knows as He commands us to have compassion and mercy toward others that it's the best thing for us in the long run. Someone has compared holding a grudge to taking poison and waiting for the other person that you're angry with to die, to be affected by it. That's not the way that it works. If I truly want to understand and model my life after Jesus, I need to know my need for mercy and I need to be willing to extend it to other people. It may be this morning you're in that first area where you need to take that step of submitting your will to God's, that you need to be willing to allow God's mercy that's made available on the cross to drastically change your life. And it is a drastic, complete life change. But it's also a reminder of the love that God has for us. As we think about what Scripture tells us, Scripture reminds us that when we hear about the mercy of God, when we submit ourselves to His will, when we're buried with Him in baptism, we rise up as a new child of God, that we're walking with Him, that we're benefiting from His mercy. And it may be that you've made that choice before, but maybe there's something that's nagging at you. There's a specific person, and you know you need to forgive that person. You need to begin that journey and that process it may be something where you need prayers and encouragement from our church family. After our worship service, if you'd like to go out this doorway, a couple of our shepherds would be glad to sit down and talk with you and pray with you privately. Or it may be that sharing it with your brothers and sisters in Christ is the best thing that could happen. Jesus says, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Those who are will be blessed because they shall receive mercy. We have all been blessed by the mercy of God this morning. Let's remember that. If there's any way that we can help you, please come as we stand and as we all sing together.